Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Actum, actum, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and of course, James Holland. Hey, Jim, you'll like this on the subject of actum, actum. The other day I was in an off-licence buying a bottle of wine and there was yeah. the guy in front of me in the queue yeah. who was German and he was talking to the... <laughs> he was talking to the um, uh, bloke behind the counter. The guy goes, oh, where are you from? He says, I'm from Germany. He goes, and where are you, where are you staying in London? I'm staying in Acton. And I thought, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> That's just brilliant. Love it. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not going there. Um, but there we are. So, um, so you didn't say so anything. We, 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 you resisted the urge. No, I didn't say. <laughs> bit my bit my lip. Um, so um, you're a better man than me. We've been very, we've been very, very fortunate, haven't we, James? In that we have been uh, one of these privileges of uh, if you know the right people, is you can get to watch TV programs before everyone else does, and yes. we have been incredibly fortunate in being given the secret password and codes to watch SAS Rogue Heroes. Yes. So yes. we're here to talk about the... I mean, they've spent quite a few quid on it. <laughs> it looks way. like it. Um, it looks very, very expensive. Um, uh, it's, got some, it's got some big names and big faces in it. Um, it's got lavish scenes of Cairo dance clubs. And yes. Girls in Basques yes. and uh, Stukas whirling in at Tobruk and all, all that. that. And someone firing a Bren gun pointlessly at it. I know. And someone firing a Lewis gun. You know, as if to, as if to tell us exactly, for those really with sharp eyes, what a pile of state things are in for. But, Jim, the story of the... I mean, the story of the formation of the SAS, and the thing to remember, really, about the modern SAS sort of isn't really the SAS from the Second World War. No. Modern SAS was, was reformed uh, for the Malayan emergency um, l- long after the Second World War had ended because the whole thing was the whole thing was wound down when the That's war right. ended. Um, and, was, and was re-established... Um, By kind of Mad Mike Calvert and various others in Malaya. Calvert and, and, and people like... Um, Johnny Cooper. Tony Dean Drummond and... Yeah, people like that, yeah. So... That's one of the interesting things about the, the story is that is that the name is a name that's been that got borrowed several times. And so the, the one we've got now has taken the name from the Second World War and they borrowed the name anyway. Uh, Sterling's SAS or who, whoever's SAS borrowed the name anyway from the special service brigades, which were, which were the commando brigades. And then one of them got turned into um, a special air service brigade. 
which then became one para. And, you know, if, if, if anyone's interested in this sort of um, yeah. sort of uh, army reorganisation history, history. Is, is a complex I mean, one. I mean, good. Exactly. Good luck to them. Because after all, it's two SAS because they wrote the 11 with, and a, is it two or 11? You know, but, I mean, yeah. uh, anyway, but, but we have been, we've been very fortunate to see this programme. And I don't know. Uh, what did you think of it, Jim? Well, uh, the first 15 minutes, I was just going, no, 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 this is unbelievably annoying because there was lots of things wrong with it and, yeah. and, and it didn't work. Yeah. I have to say, as the series has progressed, um, I'm enjoying it more and more. And actually, I think, for the most part, the chronology is about right. And, and yeah. the people in it are about right. And the, and the kind of, there was two moments for me that, that I suddenly thought, ah, oh, yeah, okay, this is, this is warming up. The first one was was just a moment that made me laugh when Paddy Main is in the desert, he's having a shower and he's got a tin can and he, <laughs> to make the shower work, he fires three shots of his pistol and the underside of it. Yeah. And, it all, and I thought that was, you know, it was ridiculous, but it was kind of funny. And I just thought, okay, that's quite, that's quite cool. That's quite good. Yes. Then it really perked up when they start recruiting everybody and suddenly you've got Johnny Cooper and Reg Seekings. Yeah. And that is one of the key dynamics, I think, of the of the of the SAS. And we tend to kind of focus on on the officers, on Paddy Main, and um, and and obviously David Sterling and Co. and Bill Fraser and and um, mm. and so on. But actually, I think the the kind of beating heart of the of the SAS in many ways is the other ranks. Uh, and I think the the Seekings Cooper dynamic is a really interesting one because Johnny Cooper was, although he was a, an NCO, he was very, very young. I think he was only 18 in 1941 when he was recruited in the autumn of 1941. And he was very fresh-faced, looked about 12, um, was a grammar school boy, so therefore was considered sort of middle-class and posh. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a, and spoke very cleanly and was quite small and quite slight, but incredibly determined self-assured, um, competent, capable yeah. of looking after himself and all those sort of things, thinking on his feet, very smart, very bright. Um, Reg Seekings wasn't, was from the kind of rough side of the tracks and was a fighter and a brawler and constantly angry and constantly getting a scrap. And they absolutely hated each other's guts to start off with. But then, uh, on the first series of raids that they properly went on, because the first raid was the um, was the parachute drop, which was a total fiasco. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and, and complete and, disaster. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And twenty nine out of fifty or whatever got got were killed or wounded or yeah. missing forever um, as prisoners of war. But after that, and the first sort of major raids was this series of of, of um, landing grounds at airfields, at the um, Axis airfields, which they attack. You know, well into. Um, into Cyrenaica, which is for those of you who've been listening to the um, the Alamein series, is the bulge yeah. in Libya, further west from from Tobruk. You get so you get sort of Benghazi, and then you get Sirte, and and it's around Sirte and Agadabia um, and all these sort of places. Um, that's where all these landing grounds are, and and this is where they do their first major attack. And they manage to shoot up and destroy it in the series of attacks in the second half of December 1941. Yeah. They destroy loads, and at this moment is when Seekings and Cooper, thrust together, really start to gel. And although they're such completely different characters, they become absolute best mates, lifelong friends. They both survived the war. Yeah. They both survive, you know, later careers in the, in the SAS and, and, and become absolutely lifelong friends. And I think that dynamic, suddenly I thought, oh, yeah, that's believable. Because the problem is with, with the David Sterling character is he is nothing like David Sterling at all. And well, 
It depends which David Sterling you're selecting from the historiography, after all, because we've had Phony Major recently, which is sort of implies he he's all he was all over the place rather than quite such a sort of organised fellow. And certainly the programme suggests that Sterling, you know, isn't isn't all that reliable, isn't all is bored, is drunk a lot. I mean, I, th- I thought it's quite interesting how sort of how much of an anti-hero they're kind of they're making in the programme, really. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think I think the real David Sterling absolutely is all those things. You know, he wasn't called the giant slow yeah. for nothing. You know, he's feckless. Um, his his career up to that point has been one of total uselessness. Everything he's done, whether it be go off and ranching in America, um, trying his hand as an artist in Paris, um, spurious attempts to climb Everest, all these things, they've all gone horribly wrong. And basically, the moment anything goes slightly wrong or becomes slightly hard work, he walks away from it, you know, and he's the middle son of an absolute sort of scion of Scottish aristocracy. So he's been born with a massive silver spoon in his in his mouth. And, he's, and a chip, and a chip on his shoulder. So he's got the spoon and the chip, hasn't he? It's the, yeah. it's the sort of worst combo. Yeah, absolutely. But he is conspicuously nice and polite and charming, and he doesn't swear all the time. And of course, this is written by Stephen Knight, who wrote *Peaky Blinders*. And so everything's effing this, effing that, effing bloody hell, and you know. And and the problem is, is that this David Sterling in this series comes across as a not a very nice, sympathetic character at all. You just think you're just a spot horrible person. Um, uh, yeah. Whereas I think the real Sterling was a lot of the things that are depicted in the in the TV series. But was a very, very charming, likable person. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think which is the, how it, which is how in the end he did it. Yeah, and it's and it's how he how he does it. And I know Gavin Mortimer's done um, a lot of really, really good work on on all this and saying actually that you know one of the key people was his older brother Bill, who was in Cairo at the time and actually was the real brains behind it. That's as maybe, but but Sterling was definitely the first commander. There's no question about that. And the reason he was the commander was because he was a really good leader of men once he was kind of yeah. put in that situation. He clearly wasn't a particularly competent soldier because he's, you know, particularly in those early raids, it's always his jeep that, you know, always his, his not his jeep because they didn't have jeeps in the first raids. Um, it's always his group that cocks up and has to abort and doesn't quite get there, you know, while, while some gets lost Paddy Main seamlessly kind of, you know, manages exactly, to yeah. kind of destroy 30 aircraft. So clearly, Paddy Main is a superior one. But I also think it's, it's interesting, the depiction of Paddy Main, because I think the way Jack O'Connell plays him, he's always got a beard, which, of course, he wouldn't have, you know, and there's lots of pictures to say that he doesn't have a beard. Um, there's lots of sort of yeah. things which don't make any sense. So in in the TV series, um, Paddy Main um, uh, basically is put in prison for brawling. Um, three red caps come in to sort of take him out. And he beats them all up, leaves them there, steals the keys and gets out again. And no one seems to come after him. <laughs> just seems yeah, to, uh, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite extraordinary that, that, that. I mean, obviously, you know, the, his credentials as a fighting man and a brawler and all that need to be sort of laid out in the programme. But yeah, the idea that he's in, then in tremendous trouble, because I thought the implication was he's going to kill them in, in the, at the start. You sort of think, yeah. well, it, this isn't right. And also, he again, he's one of those people who who was also very, you know, those that knew him, he was soft-spoken and charming. And yes, once he'd had a drink, he could be, be sort of um, very, very dangerous to be around. But, but, but he's very brash in the, in, in the show in a way that I don't know that what I've read about him tells me that he was a brash person. No, I don't think he was. I think he, everyone always said that, that Paddy Main had these kind of, sort of three stages to his, to his sort of day-to-day existence. 
the first one was his normal one, which was when he was sober and and um, he wasn't exactly charming, but but he definitely had a had a, had a charisma. He was pretty shy naturally, but but obviously yeah. he was just built of incredibly stern stuff and was was a mighty warrior of that. There's absolutely no question whatsoever. The second one was you know he'd get a bit drunk and then and then he'd start to get a bit leery and then he'd get blind drunk and he'd just turn into this total demon where he'd just sort of be yeah. incredibly violent and brutal um, and deeply unpleasant. And he'd never remember any of it the following day. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, where yeah. this kind of sort of, you know, where, where this sort of dark force came from, it's, it's unclear because he came from a perfectly middle-class, contented, happily, happy family in Northern Ireland. And, you know, there's, there's no real particular story in his, in his childhood to suggest that he's repressed or yeah. had some dark period or anything like this. So maybe it's yeah. just that he's got a bit of the black dog. I don't, I don't know, but, but I, I don't think Jack O'Connell's got him quite right either, but it doesn't, you know, but who cares? I mean, it, to a certain extent, this is a drama, you know, and, and I suppose one has to kind of, you know, accept it that this is a drama for the Peaky Blinders generation. And I was a massive Peaky Blinders fan and, and, you know, it ticks all those boxes. Well, in that in that sense, it's as uh, like all war films. It's as fa- it's fa- as faithful to the era it's from as, as it is to anything else. Correct. So yeah, yeah. I think this that's is, this true. is this is the Second World War thing you make in two thousand and twenty-two. This is the the story because because you've also got you know Bob Laycock sort of you know is portrayed as sort of posh and fa- posh and idiotic. You know, isn't he? Yes. He's sort of ineffectual idiot um, p- played by Which Miles he wasn't. Jump. Which he wasn't. No, I mean he had some bad luck, Bob Laycock, but he was—he certainly wasn't wasn't that. No, you know the the, the opening gambit of, the, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, and also, what did they say in the first thing? There's, a, you know, there's a, there's a kind of um, uh, a, a sort of super comes up, which is the kind of text that comes over the over thing, and it, it says, "If to Brook fell." typewriter you know sewers would be lost and then you know if sewers would lost africa would be lost and if africa was lost the war would be lost i mean it's just yeah. nonsense and you, and you don't you don't need that kind of hyperbole <laughs> because it's just not true they're all wearing the wrong kind of shades they didn't have those sort of shades in those days what they had is they had these kind of interesting they had round um sunglasses or they had sort of goggles yeah. sand goggles what they yeah. didn't have yeah. was that sort of half-cock aviator shades. They just, they just weren't there. They, they just didn't have them. And you certainly wouldn't... You know, Paddy May never had a beard unless he was out in the desert, you know, scragging around on raids, you know. But back at base, he was clean-shaven, as you had to be. But And also, and, and David Sterling doesn't go around sort of going, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And yeah, if he was swearing, yeah. he'd go, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Who the fuck are you, old boy? But he didn't. Exactly. He didn't swear. Yeah. I mean, he just wasn't yeah. a swearer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, but but then that that's because that's because this is this was when it was made. You know, it's, of course, it's the and and it's it's trying to contain ideas that you know how we view the war now, how we view violence, questions of cool um, are all in the are all in the are all in the pot. You know, um, I mean, it, I mean, it it, it does it does. Look beautiful. I thought the parachuting sequence was very well done, even though it's sort of essentially nonsense. I thought that was that well. Was, they, that was what what isn't nonsense is is that he and Jock Lewis did go off on a plane. Oh no, they did on a in a biplane. You know, albeit it wasn't yeah. a Dragon Rapid, but uh, it was another Bristol. It was a Bristol. I can't remember which one it was, but it was a Bristol yeah. um, uh, biplane. They did tie the static lines to the chairs, uh, the seats mm. in the, in the plane. They did jump out. Mm. Into the middle of nowhere, um, Jock yeah. Lewis did purloin a cache of of things, but he got permission from Bob Laycock, who was incredibly charismatic yeah. and gung ho, not the remotest bit like Miles Jupp, 
Um, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and he said, look, you know, we're not doing an awful lot. I mean, I mean basically the backstory of this is Layforce. So, so Sterling joins Layforce, John Lewis joins Layforce. This is the commandos. The commandos have been born and they're, they're then sent out to the Middle East ostensibly to go and attack Rhodes. But then yeah. um, it's clear that that's a non-starter when they get out there. Um, that the, yep. the, the, the situation is entirely different. The Rommel's arrived now in North Africa. The Germans are involved in North Africa. So the sort of operations that they could have done are, are denied to them. And then yep. the commandos are sort of faffing around and, and they are doing a few raids up the coast of North Africa. They are getting involved in Crete in part. And they're kind of something or nothing. And, it, and it's just, it's, it's, it's become convoluted. And all those people who are total adrenaline junkies... Um, which is why they've all joined in the first place. They're the kind of people yeah. who kind of, you know, ski off cliffs in the Alps and things like that yeah. and, 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 you know, climb Everest and, you know, canoe down the Congo. Uh, you know, it's those kind of people, but in the 1930s, 1940s. And they're starting to get really bored and really twitchy, which is why they're starting to think, well, what else can we do? What else can we do? And, and Jock Lewis is a really, really interesting character. And actually, I think he is really well played. And I think he's pretty... I think that's of all of them. I think that's the closest to to, to the yeah. reality of what Jock Lewis was really like. Because Jock Lewis was was skirting with Nazism in the nineteen thirties. Um, you know, he was going over to Germany on an exchange, and then really liked it and started going back and thought, you know what, these Nazis they bring yeah. discipline and order and all the rest of it. And it's Crystal Nat. When he when he sees witnesses Crystal Nat, he thinks, actually, no, I've got this completely wrong. They're they're absolutely horrific. And it then becomes his life's mission to destroy Nazism. So that's his his big goal in life. And all he wants to do is go and kill Germans. And, and he's incredibly humorless. He's incredibly determined, physically fit, um, absolutely extreme. You know, one, one of his sort of extraordinary, dedicated, serious characters. Absolute opposite of David Sterling, who's sort of, you know, laconic yeah. and kind of laid back and kind of slothful. Um, and he's twiddling, you know, he's been, he has done several raids in, in Tobruk which you get depicted in Rogue Heroes. But again, there's yeah. no explanation of how he's got there and how he gets back again. So David Sterling, you see in a long column of the wrong type of desert, because um, it's actually filmed yeah. in Tunisia, um, of a long column of, column of trucks, which is clearly going to achieve absolutely nothing. Um, and yeah. they run out of fuel. And it's not explained how they then get back to Cairo. And it's also not explained how, no. how they're, when they're trying to relieve Tobruk, how Jock Lewis is there and then seems to be back in Cairo the next minute either. No, no, not, not, but, but, none but, of but it, he really. is doing that in real life, up. and he is, yeah. and he's going by boat, of course. But, but that's just yeah. not explained. But, but he does get hold of this. He does do that attack where they kill fifty Italians on the on the kind of uh, yeah. on the what they call the Twin Peaks, I think they're called something like that. Twin Pimples. Mm. It's a raid he does, and he's very aggressive. And he does say to Bob Lake, um, Laycock, "Look, I've got this stash of of um, parachutes which are destined to um, to India. Maybe we can make some use of them." And he lets Sterling know who's recovering from his... Um, no, he, he, he meets Sterling somehow. I can't quite remember how. And he lets him know about it. And Sterling says, well, can I come with you? And so they go off on this experimental jump. Yeah. Which is the biplane scene. And so that really does happen. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's the, but, the, but the fact is it's... You know, anyone who's watched Peaky Blinders knows it also exists in this... Uh, uh, kind of televisual universe where your dad will turn up when you you know when you hurt yourself and make a terror terrible error your father will turn up and tell you off yeah yeah as you as you as you hallucinate so there's a there's a slab of that in rogue heroes too that i think people need to you know if you're expecting a 
If you're expecting a history of the Special Air Service Regiment, you're not going to get one. It's the... It's the, it's the, it's the <laughs> that is sim- the truth. Simple truth, isn't it? This episode is brought to you by Etsy. So you need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person, and I appreciate you, and I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Well, Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. There's other things which are, are, are accurate. Uh, the whole sort of pushing people off the back of trucks and stuff that actually did happen because they yes. just they didn't have any kit and they were you know the original yeah. aim was that they were going to be parachuting, um, yeah. and, and so they thought well until we got some kit and we've got the means to actually do some parachute jumps how do we train? Mm. Well, let's just chuck people off the back of trucks and so they were doing that. There are photos of that too, so that, you know we absolutely yeah. know that 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 definitely did happen. That's not it's not bullshit. Yeah, I, I mean it, and really not not that clever a way of. Yeah. Learning, learning how to do it. I mean, it's yeah. all, no, no, not clever at all. And imp, imp, improvised and odd and improvised, and but it is this thing, though, isn't it? Like, like you say, it is lots of people who are bored, isn't it? People who are who've who've. I mean, the irony is that if you if you went into a line regiment, you'd have a lot more to be getting on with, um, in terms of action, or you know, to, join the tank regiment. You'd be yeah. much much busier than if you're a commando. And after all, the commandos occupy that strange space where when they turn up in a particular theatre, no one really knows what to do with them because they're not part of the regular army. They're not, exactly not attached. They're not part of your schematic. Yeah. And, you know, they've been raised for raiding. Well, what does that mean? And that, that means we're going to have to divert some ships to help or trucks or aircraft from the normal effort, from the, from the standard effort. And it, so they're actually a pain in everyone's backside as well. You know, the, the, the story of what happens to Layforce going to Crete and coming back is, I think, ex- exemplary of that you know no one really knows what to do them so they send them to crete and then they have to rescue them it's sort of um all a bit pointless and and, and that's the and that's the death knell for for, for lay force really so it gets disbanded yeah and so suddenly you've got all these people who come sort of thinking well do i go back to my you know do i go back and join the, the scots guards or you know most of them yeah, are guardsmen yeah, but, or do i go back yeah. to x or, or, or what happens and then suddenly at at the same time Sterling and Lewis are starting to create this, have this idea of having this sort of raiding force that, that could be dropped in behind enemy lines, yeah. rather than because yeah. Sterling's point is is and, and and I think he's absolutely right on this, is that nearly everything's happening on the coast, and if you want to go behind the enemy lines, the obvious way to do it is by the coast. Yeah. But but where you would go is to ports because that's where there's something to destroy and worth raiding. But the problem is, when you go to a port, there's lots of defences because it's a port and because it's vulnerable. Whereas, if you actually come, if you just say, actually, no, let's come from the desert, then you can go in and you can tackle all sorts of other targets, such as airfields, which are inland and which you wouldn't be able to get from the coast and and so easily, and and where the enemy wouldn't be expecting you. So there's 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 an absolute... Logic to it. I mean, it's interesting the the whole story about how Sterling gets to gets to Auchinleck. 
is, is you know is obviously clearly fabricated it's a well-polished story you know i was injured in my parachute run i then i then came up with this genius idea i then recovered and you know i had to kind of get behind the guards i knew there was too much um too much um um you know desk wallers to get through so therefore i kind of had to bluff my way through um i mean the thing is, is both Neil Ritchie and Auchinleck knew his father, who was a general from the First yeah, World yeah. War, and had been shooting at at, at Keir, which is their fifteen thousand acre estate in Scotland, and knew them. And he probably did bluff his way into GHQ, but once he's in GHQ, it's very easy to go and sort of pull favors and pull pull family ties, yeah. which would still count for a huge amount in those days. Yeah, yeah. Well, because as you, as you, I mean, as you suggested earlier on that the commandos are full of guardsmen it's full of very it's full of posh people and it's full of famous people too isn't it i mean you've absolutely you know uh, um you know randolph randolph churchill ends up in this orbit doesn't he Which is yes what's, what's, what's interesting completely about he's and, one of lay force isn't he yeah he is yeah and and evelyn war and know, jeffrey he's, Keyes. He's, he's, he's a, yeah exactly he's roger Keyes' son he's the kind of first sea lord at the time and you know, and and and, That's right. and obviously gets killed doing one of the yeah doing that that kind of behind the lines raid, which is all part of the the, the same you know part of the lay force commando raid kind of thing yeah. that's going on out there yeah. at the time. I mean, I think the thing that made me balk most was the um, the, the com- you know how the David Sterling character talks to Richie and the orc, which is just so wrong on every single level. Mm. But I suppose you again you know. This is TV, you know. You're never going to get a historical yeah. drama accurate and all the rest of it. And I think, I think no. where I think they've been faithful to the spirit of the events, and and, and the kind of the spirit of, of of what the SAS stood for in those early days and how it develops. But in the, but in, but if you made this in the 1950s, you'd have that conversation. I say, oh boy, I have lovely to see you again. How's your mother? Yeah, wouldn't you? That, 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 well, that's how that. Say. Flat feel well, I think so. I, we were just wondering if we could borrow a couple of um. Those uh, 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 new new jeeps you've been sent. Yeah. Uh, I know you must right. be frightfully busy, but I've had a little bit of an idea, and I just I really think it might be worth your consideration. If it's not too much. And in the, and, and in the sixties, hey man, I wonder if we could borrow a couple of jeeps. I, yeah, I, yeah, you know. And then I don't know. You know what I mean? Is that yeah. is that, that you that, that these are expensive? <laughs> and in the twenty twenties is. You total fuck. Um, listen to me or else. How dare you talk to a senior officer like, like I give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. As he whips off his aviator shades. I mean, it's just... But I, but then, you know, then they were kind of, there was a bit where they're all heading off to Cabrit in Tobin Jones's um, Humbers, um, which I was yep. very pleased to see in, in full action. Um, and lots of Bedfords, I should say. Um and, and you know, highway to hell comes out and stuff. And actually, I thought, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy this now. Well, that's all really good fun. I think. I think it's great music fun. I think all that's really good. It's really good fun and, and completely excusable. You know, because well, also a lot of that music's 50 years old. So what difference does it make? Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that, exactly. So <laughs> I, I, I suppose my my gripe is kind of they could have. I think they should have made Sterling more um, more. Um, Simpatico. I think he's he doesn't come across as a very nice character at all. He just comes across as rude and arrogant and swears a lot. Um, and I think that's mm. that's an error. Um, Paddy May needs to have a shave um, uh, and basically <laughs> just kind of get a bit of. He has, he's not quite charismatic enough, I don't think. Um, yeah. uh, uh, but but I think all the second tier characters are brilliant. The Jot, Jot Lewis is brilliant. I think I think Seekings and and Cooper are brilliant. Um, Jim Ormonds is really, you know, and and, um, yeah. and and Dave um, Farish, all those people. I think they're 
they're really good and, and, and they just feel right to me. I, so I think they've I think they've got a lot of it. A lot of it, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well and and it you know um like this podcast, it's also it's a piece of entertainment as much as, as it as anything else. So uh, yeah, yeah, but we, we might feel that we're historically on the on the money. <laughs> um well um well this has been fun. Um obviously you're all gonna watch it, I imagine. Um uh the listeners and um let us know what you think. I imagine some of you are gonna be fuming into your um uh cornflakes <laughs> oh the other thing the other thing that they've got wrong is 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 i, I thought the dominic west character is really good in it he he plays mm. um colonel yes. dudley clark dudley clark is yeah. not the head of sis in cairo he is the head of deception in cairo um mm. it, it's, it's red towers is where where sis is based mm. and is a completely different organization altogether um yeah. Yeah. The, the the Algerian spy is obviously just completely made up, um, but yeah. but um, it's a nice little touch, I think, and and I think I, I think yeah. you can sort of live with it. He's rather having fun playing that as well, and it, and he it, it feels he feels believable as a as a portrayal as well. That those sort of those sort of people in that sort of job um, makes makes a great deal of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think so. Uh, and so, so my suggestion. Oh, Citroen in the first episode is is right. The Citroen in the second episode is wrong. Um, but you know, minor points. <laughs> um, I, I I would urge people to kind of you know if you if yeah. you if you want to sort of hurl a brick at the television in the first fifteen minutes, um, stick with it because because it, it gets better. Uh, yeah, it gets it gets a lot better and it gets fun. By by the second episode, it's getting really warming up. Yeah, the opening sequence doesn't make any sense at all, as you say. But get past it. Get past it. Get past yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But it was quite fun. One day we should do a proper podcast on the SS because we haven't really touched on what they actually got up to and how they were formed. And we've, we've touched on it here, I know, today, but only in the well, and how they and how they they changed and mutated quite yeah, yeah. Um, dramatically, um, uh, and and then of course got wound down and disappeared and you know never to never to be reactivated. I mean, that's the other thing is that the, you know the the modern thing isn't the same thing. It's just. No. The British, the British Army's ability to create a regimental tradition out of thin air yeah. um, should never be underestimated. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we will uh, see you again soon. Um, we hope you enjoyed this little nugget of a of a T. It's a TV review, isn't it? We're, t- we're in the TV re- reviewing business now, Jim. Yeah. Not, I'm not sure I'm happy about that. Anyway, cheerio. <laughs> Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye.